Good morning and welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church. We're glad to have you see some visitors here. We always are excited that you're, you uh, chose to worship with us. Uh, we always ask that everybody sign the friendship roll and pass it down and we'd have a record of your presence. If you'd like any kind of special contact, please make note of that and I'll try to get back with you. Uh, any questions you need to uh, have answered, please uh, submit them to me. You also see session meets this afternoon at 430. It is a business meeting, but we always have time for prayer. And if anybody has any special prayer requests, uh, give them to me or Ben or one of the elders. Uh, we continue to look at Romans chapter 3 tonight. Ladies will not meet uh, Tuesday morning. We have our, our, you can't have an annual leap year chili contest, but uh, every year we have a chili contest, and this year we're just going to call it leap year, but we, we have some signed up, but Ted said he didn't know of any of the elders that could multiply bread and fishes, so we still need a few more uh, pots of chili. And last but not least, if your child is interested in uh, joining the church, making their own profession of faith, uh, taking communion, please see me, and we're going to have a communicant class coming up soon. No more announcements. Let's prepare our hearts to worship. Lord has called us to worship him this morning we approach him by reading Psalm 145 responsively this is our call to worship join me on the italics the Lord is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and rich in love the Lord is good to all he has compassion on all he has made all you have made will praise you O Lord your saints will extol you they will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might. 
Lord God of Israel and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, you alone are our God, and you are the one who has worked this wonderful creation in which we live. From you we have come into being, and to you we will return in the end. We praise your name, that even as the whole earth is filled with your glory, you have filled us with the glory of heaven itself as you have recreated us according to the righteousness of our King Jesus. Oh, that you might grant that we would ascend your hill, united in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we may serve you and bless you, that we may sing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs to your glory, that our prayers may come before your feet, that we may receive the, the good food of your word and be nourished deep down to the very bottom of who we are by the ministry of your spirit. Lord, it is into your hands that we place ourselves right now and our worship. We humbly ask that you would come and glorify yourself. To you belongs all service and blessing and adoration. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Would you receive us then into your presence through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son and our King. And we pray all this in his name and now pray together as he himself taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our profession of faith this morning is the Apostles' Creed. All during the week in our daily lives, we hear the world teaching, um, singing, uh, proclaiming, showing so many untrue things. And this morning we have a chance right now to say out loud together what we believe. May the Lord help us to believe it. Christians, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Take your hymnals and turn to number 302, and let's sing praise to our God. Come, Christians, join to sing.
Amen. Please be seated. Keep your hymnals open. Turn to the back, page 802. Printed for us is Psalm 46. This is a song that Israel would have sung when God turned what had looked like defeat into a great victory. It reminds us, well, over and over through these words and phrases, that the Lord is the King, the one who protects His people and keeps all things right and in their proper place. And by its declarations, it bids us to worship the Lord. Let's read responsively Psalm 46. I'll read the plain text. Let's join together on the bold as we read this God's Word. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts His voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations He has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God, You are holy, 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 enthroned on the praises of Your people. You are our trustworthy Deliverer, the One who has ransomed us from sin and death and set us free unto life and godliness in Christ. We know, O Lord, that not one of Your words fails. All that You declare comes to pass. And certainly, Lord, You are to be worshipped and adored, obeyed and loved by all Your creatures. But in the face of Your glory and authority, we must confess that we are a weak and foolish and rebellious people. We have sinned against You in our thoughts and our words and our deeds. We have sinned in what we have done and in what we have failed to do. We have constructed idols in our hearts and bowed down to them. We have misused and dishonored your name. We've indulged our own pleasures on your holy day. We've dishonored parents and others rightfully in authority over us. We've indulged in murderous hatred and adulterous lust. We have cheated others of that which is rightfully theirs. We have bent and twisted the truth, especially in ways that have harmed the reputations of others. Our hearts, Lord, are plagued by jealousy and envy and covetousness, which is itself idolatry. Lord, we confess that on our own, apart from You, there is no good in us. So we thank You yet again for our Lord Jesus Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification. 
In Him, O Lord, we thank You and praise You that You've delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of Your beloved Son. What majesty has been displayed in the Lordship of our Christ. What mercy has been shown to us in the Gospel of God. Father, come by Your Spirit and melt our hearts with the majesty and mercy of our Lord Jesus. That at at the sight of Him, we may bow in humble worship and bold approach to find comfort in, in all of our needs and circumstances. We know, Lord, that there are those among us who are struggling, who are fighting against sickness and weakness of many different kinds. Lord, heal your people. Where there is disease, take it away. Where, where death looms, would you deliver into more life? But also, Lord, work upon our hearts in all of these things and in all of the trials that you put us through, that we may love you, that we may cling to you, O Lord, our strength. Grant us that we may say with true faith that you are our rock and our fortress and our deliverer, that you are our God, our rock in whom we take refuge. Lord, would you be our shield, the horn of our salvation, be our stronghold in the midst of difficulties in this life. Prove yourself true to your people. Fulfill your promises to us. Show us that you are our God. Remind us over and over, Lord, the goodness that you have guaranteed to us as your people. Stir us up that as we face the disappointment of this life, that as the pleasures we seek after too often fail to deliver on their promises of of happiness, would you drive us to yourself? Would you stir up within us faith that we may call upon you and seek you? Lord, give us a rebelliousness against the world and sin and help us to cling evermore to you through Christ our Lord. Teach us not to love the world or the things of the world. Surely, if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from you, O God, but it is from the world. And we know that the world is passing away along with its desires. So teach us, Lord, through Christ to do your will and so abide with you forever. Father, we know, that, we know that your people is bigger than our local church here. We know it's bigger than our denomination. And so we ask that you would be with your church wherever they may be in this world. Other fellowships in our town, uh, in our state, throughout the world, the fields are white for harvest. Would you raise up laborers to go into your harvest so that in every place where your people are found, the mystery of the gospel of Christ may be declared and life may be brought forth from death in the hearts of many. Bring your rule and reign to bear in all of this world, Lord. That the way we live would reflect the worship and adoration that goes on in heaven. Lord, as your servant comes to preach, to proclaim the goodness of your word, would you give him boldness in your truth? We know that preaching is not the reason that your word works upon our hearts, but that your word is the reason that preaching works. So would you give him freedom to rest upon your word and give us all ears to hear what you would say to us, your church. Under the ministry of the word, would you establish us more in faith? Would you comfort us and lift us up? Would you convict us where necessary? Remind us of your glory and your goodness and the mercies of the gospel. And, oh, Lord, would you draw the the young hearts in this room, draw our children to faith in Christ. Fulfill your covenant promises to us all that you would be honored and glorified 
Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for the promises that you have given to us. Would you come and fulfill them even now in this time and place for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand again and sing. Vast the immensity, mirror of majesty. It's number 24 in your hymnals. Great singing, great hymn, one of my favorite. Let's pray together. Father, as we pause to give, we acknowledge your goodness, that you know how to give good gifts to your children. And you do good, and you always do good. We acknowledge that your goodness is poured out upon us. Father, we also acknowledge that you have poured out upon us your goodness, our cup runneth over. Goodness and mercy follows us all the days of our life, and then we'll dwell in the house of the Lord. And so as we acknowledge your goodness, we pray that we might express our faithfulness to give the tithe, to give the tithe and the offering above that, trusting you to take it and use it to the expanding of your kingdom. May we give as the parable say, like we found a pearl of great price and a treasure in a field. May we Give with great joy and not with hesitation or, or grudgingly. We pray that we will give cheerfully. 
that you would use the money that we give to expand your kingdom here among men. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Good morning. If you have your Bibles, please open them to Hebrews chapter 12. As we open this, we remember that the writer to Hebrews is writing to encourage Jewish Christians, that is, Jews that have become Christians, to uh, encourage them to stay with the fight, to keep racing, to keep running and not drop out. And they were facing persecution, having their property seized, and some were even thrown in prison. And the writer to Hebrews is encouraging them, it's worth it, stay in the fight. And the reason we say that is because we want, you to, we want to know and realize that the tune for this whole book is one of encouragement. He could have handled it in a lot of different ways. You know, he could have been harsh and hard. And some passages are hard, but the tune is encouragement. God is encouraging us to persevere and promise us he, he will enable us to do that. So look at your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 18 to the end of the chapter. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire, to darkness and gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in a joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At the same time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens. The, earth, the words once more indicate removing what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The word of God to God's people, let's pray. Father, open our eyes that we might see the glory of the gospel. Unstop our ears that we might not uh, refuse to hear the truth of this passage. Make us people that are thankful but filled with reverence and awe because of who our God is as a consuming fire. May we understand this passage and live in light of it. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Every now and then I make a trip somewhere and somebody asks me where I'm from. And I say, well, I'm from Cleveland. And they say, where in the world is Cleveland? I say, it's in the middle of the Delta. Well, what's the Delta? Well, the Delta starts in the lobby of the Peabody Hotel and it goes to Catfish Row in, in Vicksburg, Mississippi. And we're right between those two fixed points. 
And uh, it's a place where the land is rich, but it's full of poverty. There's a place where there's cotton fields and beautiful sunsets. There's mosquitoes, might be our state bird. There are artists that are glorious painters and, and writers that are, are wonderful. It's the home of the blues, but the thing that makes the Delta the Delta, I think, the people. I live in the Delta, and I've lived here almost 50 years. The Bible asks you today, where do you live? Do you live on Mount Zion, or do you live on Mount Sinai? What is your reference point? Is it Mount Sinai where you focus on the law, and death, and darkness, and gloom, and fear, and trembling? Or do you live on Mount Zion, the mountain of grace, and joy, and faith, and gladness? When we come to this passage, it absolutely is the fulfilling of all the promises and all the images that God has used in the whole book. It's like the conclusion. This is what you have come to, and you cannot go back. So today I want to compare the two mountains, listen with caution from the mountains, and make a conclusion from the mountains. Let's compare the mountains first, excuse me, prepare the mountains first. The first two paragraphs, starting with verse 18, and the second paragraph, starting with verse 22, compare Mount Sinai with Mount Zion. And he says, you have not come to this one, but you have come to this one. He's reminding them of the old covenant, what existed under the law and under Moses, and what existed now under the new covenant with Jesus. And you remember Mount Sinai. I remember when Ben was going through Exodus and we stayed there several weeks. But you remember that the people of God came out of Egypt as they were slaves. They were redeemed. They came through the Red Sea and the water swallowed up the Egyptians. They were led through the wilderness by the pillar of fire and the cloud. They ate manna until they came to the mountain. And Moses goes up on the mountain. And the mountain is quaking and lightning and fire and gloom and darkness and all of that. That's what he's referencing here. He's talking about a fiery, dark, gloomy thing. I, I kind of think when you see fire, you don't think of gloom, do you? But think about, you know, when you're sitting outside and you got your fire pit going and it's a dark, dark night with no, no uh, stars in the sky or anything and everything outside that fire is dark and the kids don't want to venture out because they're scared of the dark. That's the idea here. The mountain was fiery, yes, but it was dark and gloomy and foreboding. And there were trumpets and a voice from heaven which shook the ground like an earthquake. And he told the people around the mountain that were commanded, don't touch the mountain or you'll die. Even an animal, if he touches the mountain, is to be stoned to death. And the people, as they gathered around this mountain, and Moses went up to gather the law of God, the spoken word of God, written on tablets, they were terrified. And it says Moses was trembling with fear. Now what he wants to do is he wants to plant that image into the Jewish convert's mind. That is what you left. But you have now come to Mount Zion, Jerusalem, the city of God. Those are words that signify a heavenly vision it doesn't mean Mount Zion, actually Jerusalem, and actually the temple. The language here is more uh, rich than that. It's more encompassing than that. This language is describing 
heaven itself. He's saying you have come to heaven. You're experiencing some of it now. He talks about thousands upon thousands of angels. And these angels are joyful. It would be interesting for you to go back through Revelation maybe sometimes this week and notice how many times the image of heaven is singing and rejoicing and praising. And the word that he uses here for a joyful assembly is a word that's usually used for a national festival. Kind of like we would say the 4th of July or Thanksgiving or Christmas where everybody celebrates. And so he's talking about heaven being a place where everybody is full of joy and celebration. He talks about you've come to the church of the firstborn. Who were the firstborn? The firstborn in the Bible is a big deal. The firstborn were the ones who the Passover saved from dying. Remember, put the, put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and he'll pass over the firstborn. The firstborn inherited twice as much as the secondborn. The, the firstborn was the name given to Israel as a group. They were the firstborn among all of the people of the earth. They were God's people. And Jesus is described as the firstborn. And so what the Bible is saying here, when you go to heaven, you are the firstborn. You are in Christ and you are loved by God. And you enjoy some of that now. He said, you come to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. To have your name written in the Lamb's book of life was a big deal. Remember when Jesus was sending out his disciples two by two. And they came back and they were all giving a report. And you had the idea that they were all talking at the same time. We saw the devil. We cast out demons. We raised the dead. We did this. We did this. And Jesus said, wait. My translation. Wait. Don't rejoice that demons responded to you. And you saw, I saw Satan fall from heaven. But rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he's reminding them, your name is written in heaven. And when the roll is called up yonder, you'll be there. You're coming to God to judge. And you say, how in the world is that comforting? These people had been mistreated by the courts. The government had failed them. They had had their property confiscated. They had had people thrown into prison. And they faced in the near future, not just prison, but death. And now the idea of coming to God who is a judge who makes all things right would be something that would uh, cause him great, great comfort. You're coming to God, the judge that makes all things. You're coming to the spirits made perfect. Spirits made perfect. I have gotten where when we get to the graveside of a loved one, I always read the shorter catechism, question number 37. And it's a great comfort to me and hope it will be to you and everybody who stands in that place. Listen to what happens. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at their death? What do you, what do, what do I receive when I die? The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. And their bodies, still being united to Christ, do rest in the grave to the resurrection.
the writer to Hebrews is saying, you are going to heaven where all who have gone before you are made perfect. There will be no flaws. There will be no sin. There will be nothing that you can point out and say that's wrong. It's an amazing image. But we await that day when we will go before the Lord and sin no more. He said, and you will go to Jesus, the mediator, not Moses. And Jesus is the light and the glory of heaven. And you will go in there where a blood speaks better than Abel's. Abel's blood spoke revenge and a, a, a cry for justice. The blood that now speaks is Jesus' blood. It speaks of mercy and forgiveness and atonement and redemption and reconciliation. And what he's doing is he's painting a picture for these people so that they can understand that as they live in this day and especially at worship, they are celebrating and practicing for heaven. And who would give that up? Joyful expectation. Ed Hartman was preaching at First Presbyterian Church in Jackson. Some of y'all might know him. But he said his daughter loved horses and loved horses from the time she was a little girl. And she would go to camp and they would ask, you know, what two or three things you want to do at camp. And all three of hers were horses. And she would get home and she'd always ask her dad, can, can I have a horse? And he said, I gave her the same answer every time. You can have a horse when you're married, when your husband has a lot of land, builds your barn, and can feed your horse. And he said, but what if I said one day, I came home and said, hey, I bought some land outside of town that has a barn, and your horse is coming tomorrow. The joyful anticipation would be overwhelming. And that's what this is trying to do. The, the, the writer is trying to give you an anticipation of what heaven is like, but what do you experience some of it now? You enjoy it now. But he not only gives you this comparison of the two mountains, he gives you the caution to listen from the mountains. He tells you to see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks, if they had not, uh, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on the earth, how much more will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? He's comparing, you probably remember this, Psalm 95. Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts in the day of provocation. And the writer to Hebrews is saying, if they did not miss the judgment of God or the discipline of God when they hardened their hearts in the death, they fell in the desert. They didn't go into the promised land. If they refused to listen to God, then from that mountain, how much... Can we expect to escape from such great a salvation? God speaking from heaven. Now, what does God say from heaven? You know what God says from heaven? Jesus. He's the word of God. When Jesus went up on the mount and was transfigured and James and John and Peter were there and Peter wanted to build tabernacles, remember that, and stay there and be caught up in the glory of the moment. And he heard from heaven one voice, and it only said one thing. This is my son, 
Listen to him. Listen to him. The gospel is proclaimed every week in your Sunday school classes and hopefully from the, from the pulpit that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That any who come to him that are weak and weary and heavy laden, he'll give them rest. And if we refuse to hear the gospel after hearing it over and over and over again, how will we escape? We won't. And then he reminds them that when that voice spoke so long ago, it shook the earth. The, the mountain shook. The ground shook. Anybody ever been in an earthquake? I've never been in one. I've been in lots of other things, but not an earthquake. But that'd be kind of unnerving to use the word. You know, the ground underneath is shaking. But he says... Not only did I shake the earth, but I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. And in that day, all that's created will fall away, and only that which is eternal will last. The shaking of the earth is an idea of judgment. It's very similar to what Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 3 when he talks about being uh, tested or tried or judged, and what is burned up is wood and hay and stubble. And the thing that remains is just the gold. And God is telling them through this prophet and through this, this preacher that God is going to shake the earth. And the only thing that's going to last are eternal things. And it's almost like invest your life in eternal things. What are eternal things? What will last? You know, when, when everything's burned up and gone away, what remains? Answer that question and invest in that. Because the day's coming. We sing a hymn quite often, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Build your hope only on Jesus. The conclusion. He says in verse 28, Therefore, since we have are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You know, when you read that therefore, you always have to pause. You know, it's corny, you know, but you always have to see what's the there, therefore. And it's always a conclusion. It's always asking you to, to make a logical conclusion to the previous argument. And he's saying, since you are living from that mountain, and since you are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and since you are people who have their name written down in the book of life, 
And since you have come to the mountain with the thousands upon thousands of angels, and since you have come to the church triumphant where, where people have their spirits made perfect, since you have come to Jesus whose blood made a speech for your salvation, since you've done all of that, therefore, what do you do? You're thankful because you know you don't deserve it. You not only don't deserve it, it's undeserved. It's unmerited. You say with John Newton, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And you realize that I'm thankful because I'm saved by faith alone. And Wednesday nights we're studying Galatians. And last week we talked about faith alone. Not faith plus this, faith plus that, faith plus... We are saved by grace through faith alone, and the object of our faith is Christ alone. But to that formula, you have to say, where did I get the faith? From God alone. From grace alone. By grace you've been saved. Through faith, and that's not your own. It's not of works, lest any should, any should boast. People that are experiencing grace ought to be grateful. And then it talks about you should worship God acceptably with fear and reverence or reverence and all. We have this mistaken idea in America that just so we worship, it's, it's okay. You know, you wouldn't believe what goes on for worship in certain places. But go back and read... Isaiah 1. Isaiah says, your, your festivals and your sacrifices, I'm weary of them. They're empty. They're useless. We're to worship God with a, a reverence and an awe. Reverence would be, Luther called the difference in fear and reverence. He says, it's not a servile fear, like a fear of punishment, but a, a filial, a family Family fear, a fear of a good and godly father. You know, we, we forget sometimes you can have beauty and danger at the same place. I was talking to Keith the other day about one of the trips that I want to take on my bucket list is I want to go see the Grand Canyon. Evolutionists say that was caused by an Indian dragging a stick. Well, I don't believe it. But anyway... The Grand Canyon is kind of eye-opening. And everybody that gets there just talks about, you, you have to see it, you know, to believe it. It's just deep and the colors and everything. But that beauty is dangerous. Did you know that every year, 12 people fall into the Grand Canyon and die? Three people within a month recently trying to get a better picture from the Grand Canyon got too close to the edge and died. The beauty that's attractive is also dangerous. Remember in Chronicles of Narnia, Lucy was asking about Aslan and Mr. Beaver gives her the answer. Uh, Lucy says, is he safe, meaning Aslan, the Christ figure in, in that, the lion? Uh, 
Is he safe? I feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. What you will, dearie, and make no mistake, Mr. Beaver said, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without his knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just plain silly. And Lucy said, then he isn't safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what I'm telling you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's a king, I tell you. And Peter said, I'm longing to see him, even if I feel frightened when it comes to that point. Go read what happened when people realized they were in the presence of God. They fell down like dead. They fell on their faces. They, they felt undone because they understood this beautiful God was also still a holy God. And that God was a consuming fire. I have to say that I spent a great deal of this week trying to figure out that consuming fire. You know, here he is, he's talking about coming gratefully, thankfully, worshiping with fear and reverence, and then he says, he is a consuming fire. He's a fire that cannot put up with sin. He's too pure that his eyes will not look upon sin. Well, how can you and me as sinners go into the presence of this God who's a consuming fire? We can only go in if we go where the fire's already been. Ironside, a pastor of another generation, told a story about some pioneers making their way across the plains out west. And in a distance, they saw a place would open up for homesteading, they thought. They traveled in covered wagons drawn by oxen, and progress was slow. And one day, they were horrified when they noted a long line of smoke in the west, stretching for miles and miles across the prairie. And soon it was evident that the dry grass was burning fiercely and coming toward them rapidly. They had already crossed the river the day before, but it was impossible to make it back before the flames engulfed them. One man seemed to understand what was happening and what should be done. He gave the command to set a fire to the grass behind them. And when the space was burned out, the whole company moved back in to where the flames had already burned. As the flames roared towards them from the west, a little girl cried out in terror, Are you sure we shall not all be burned up? And the leader said, My child, the flames cannot reach us, for we're standing where the fire has already been. And Ironside says, What a picture of a believer who's safe in Christ. On him almighty vengeance fell, which would have sunk a world to hell. He bore it for a chosen race, and thus becomes our hiding place. Where has the fire of God's judgment already been? The cross. Where did the ground tremble and the graves open up? At the cross. Where was it dark in the middle of the day? At the cross. Where was a voice from heaven? At the cross. The only safe place to be when you approach Christ, approach God, is in Christ. In Christ. We say it every week. That he descended into hell. And everybody says, why do we say that? Because the hell you and I deserve fell on him in Calvary. And if we're in Christ, we celebrate the idea of going to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. Let's pray. Father.
thank you for giving your son and thank you Lord Jesus for drinking the cup of your father's wrath for being plunged in the darkness away from the presence of the father for thirsting and for darkness for the quaking and all for us and then you rose again that we might have life and have it everlastingly so I pray today that we'd be reminded that we live on Mount Zion and we taste some of that every week. And may our faith be strengthened by eternity that it might affect every day. And we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. There's a hymn that we're singing. We don't sing it a lot, but we do know it, so don't complain. Uh, 172. And the first verse is really good. It says, Let us sing, let us love and sing and wonder. Let us praise the Savior's name. He has hushed the law's loud thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. 172, let's stand and sing.
the benediction reminds you that God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And with his going, he will enable you to die into sin and to live in the righteousness. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good thing for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to be glory forever and ever. Grace be with you all. Amen. Thank you.